God is good, amen? Take a minute and tell him that, would you? Lord, we have tasted you are good. My prayer for my family and myself this morning is that you will give each one of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the power that is ours to live like we should, kingdom people, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Help us to grow up in you, for you, all because of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. All right, so I'm going to ask you something this morning that I don't know that I've ever asked before, and if I have, it's been a long time. I'm going to ask you all to pay real close attention to this morning's message. God did something to me Wednesday that he's not done but a handful of times in 39 years that I've been preaching. Wednesday morning, I'm at my desk with my stuff ready to write and completely changed directions. This isn't what I worked on. It's something completely different. And the last handful of times God's done that, it was for somebody specifically, and the last two times it was for several people specifically, including me. So it could just be for me this morning. I don't think so. I think there's a message (laughs) for one or two or maybe several of you. So please pay attention this morning, just in case. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, uh, talks about tasting that the Lord is good. So I'll ask you now, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Anybody in here? Yeah, me too. And Peter says, good for you. Now that you found that up, now you need to grow up in that. You need to grow up as a Christian in that knowledge because your eternal life and the eternal lives of the people around you is at stake here. This is very important. We talked about that a little bit last week. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles up, 1 Peter 1, 13. Uh, if you need one, there's a blue Bible in front of you. As always, you keep that if you need it. Uh, we'll replace it. If you know somebody needs a Bible, take one to them. Or you pull up your phone, uh, 1 Peter 1, 13. We're going to unpack this this morning. I, I don't know about you, but one of the neatest things for me right now is watching my kids, and oh my goodness, my grandkids grow up. Isn't that fun to watch that? Now, I know it can be crazy, and it can be a tax on your patience, am I right? And a tax on your bank account, and, and a tax on your energy. But man, it's fun to watch. Uh, when Angie was pregnant with Andrea, Ashley's running all over the house. Ashley was like a hormone. She, she just run, and she could stop on a dime, and she's running all the time. And she stopped, got right up to Angie, and she cupped her hands on her belly, and she said, I love you, baby, come out. Remember that? And everybody thought that was so cute that Ashley was yelling at her soon-to-be-born baby. I just remember thinking at the time that baby should get used to that. But I'm telling you, it's fun and full of happiness and joy when you have a baby. It just is. It lights everybody up. But if you get four or five years down the road, and that baby still only weighs seven and a half pounds, it's not walking, it's not talking, not growing at all, that joy turns to concern pretty quickly. Something's wrong. It's the same thing with us Christians. We should be growing up, and if we're not growing up, there's something wrong. Our message, our gospel message is fabulous, and it's very simple. God created all of us so he could spend eternity loving us and us loving him back. We messed all that up with sin, so he sent Jesus down here to die this amazing death, a terrible death, 
to pay for our sins so that we could have eternity with Him again. It's a huge message, a wonderful message. And Peter says, guess what? Once you get that, you're supposed to grow up in that. Grow up in that. That's what this passage is about. Now, there are two primary reasons why we need to go deeper in our Christian life. And the first one is so you can have the strength to withstand trouble if it comes. Excuse me, did I say if? I mean when it comes. Jesus said straight up, very honest with us, in this life you're going to have tribulation. And I'm just telling you, if we haven't gone deep these days, then when your preacher makes a mistake or falls morally, which goes on all the time, I pray to God it doesn't happen here, or somebody in your life leaves you or dies on you, and you're not strong and deep, man, it's real easy to become bitter and get mad at God and become weak and fall into all kinds of temptations. And we're seeing a lot of that these days. Another reason we need to grow up and go deep is so we can live this rich, full life that we talk about all the time that Jesus promised in John 10.10. I came not to just give you life, he said, but I want you to have life to the fullest. And, And I'm telling you, family, if we're just skimming the surface of this Christian walk thing, I mean, if we're just doing enough to get by and we're actually spending more time in the life, in the world, than we are in the kingdom, then we're missing huge abundance. Big time abundance, I'm telling you. And look, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. I know that's popular these days. I know it can fill up buildings and turn preachers into super preachers. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's something a whole lot deeper than that. It's way down in here. We took our girls out to eat years ago, all three of them, and they all ordered the same thing in those days, hamburgers and french fries, fry rice they called them. And I got a steak that day. And uh, when I got the steak and I'm eating it, I said, hey, girls, would you like to try Daddy's steak? And Angie looked at me and said, are you, are you a stooge? I mean, are you a di-? Actually, she said, sweet butter muffin, are you sure you want to do that? Now, it, tur- <laughs> it, t- it turns out she was right. My kids had a taste for steak, and we had to refinance about three years later. That about ate us out of the house at home. But family, what I'm trying to say is there's more to the Christian life than most of us are tapping into. Lots more. Way too many Christians these days, because of all the other stuff going on, are just satisfied with eternal life, like it's just some kind of eternal fire insurance or something. I mean, come on! Come on! Man, that's like eating a hamburger when you could be eating steak. The Christian life is not about getting into heaven when you die. It's about getting heaven into you right here, right now. And that happens when you grow up. Once you've tasted the Lord is good, Peter says, you grow up and you go deep in Him. Here's some ways to do that. Number one, you've got to go deep mentally. Verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, the truth is, in our society these days, we're a whole lot more about emotion and feelings than we are about thinking, aren't we? I mean, we really are, because we like what feels good. Have you ever driven down the road? And you got, you know, you're by yourself, so you got the radio blasting, and nobody's watching, so you're just singing because it makes you feel good. You remember, you do that? Uh, when I was a kid, it was Elton John when Philadelphia Freedom would come on. I would fire that up. I'm pretty sure he would sue me for some of the words that I was singing because I didn't know them all. But I didn't care because it was making me feel good. We've been taught for years, if it makes you feel good, you ought to do it. You ought to go to this movie, man. I watched it make you feel real scary. You know, this is a feel-good movie. If it looks right to you, if it feels right. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we can do it at church. We grade our services on how we feel when we leave instead of what we learned, right? Now listen, emotions are from God. 
and, and, and they're God-given. I'm talking about anger and laughter and romance and happiness and sadness and all of those things are from God. And there's a time for each one of them. But we've got to be real careful that we're not going deep in our feelings because your feelings are manipulatable. And if you're not careful, somebody's going to come along that's a whole lot less trustworthy than I am and they're going to get you to feel certain things, and you're going to be digging in your pocket and giving money, and before you know it, everything around you is going to come crashing down because you were growing up in your feelings instead of what you need to... Peter says, prepare your mind for action. Isaiah says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Use your mind. We're told over and over again in the Scripture that wisdom, which is the ability to apply knowledge to everyday life, and discernment, which is the ability to figure out what's right and what's wrong, are valued deeply in the Scripture. Think is what Peter's saying. Use your noodle. You know what I'm saying? Think before you act. The message version reads, roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, get mentally alert so you can take appropriate fast action if you need to. Think before you act. In every action, several years ago, we had, we had this family, I can tell this because my mom's out today, we had this family come to visit, and they had four kids, and one of them was disabled, and couldn't walk, so they just put him on the floor, and he was playing with the rest of the kids, and my mom came in upstairs to help, and she saw him on the floor, and she said, what in the world are you doing? Get up off the floor before somebody steps on you. They didn't come back. Listen, you, you think... You think before you act in all kinds of situations. And listen, spiritually speaking, this is a good place to do that. That's why I ask you during the message to listen today in case it's for you. I go home every week, man, and I am critiqued at my house. Actually, I take a beating at my house every Sunday. I mean, it's just the truth. And then I get it at staff on Monday. Three weeks ago, I said Ebola instead of Ebola. Last week, I had trouble saying abominable. Abominable. Last week, Eric Gilpin... And Caitlin Reese both came up to me and said, uh, you know, I'm preaching on studying. I gave the wrong scripture text, you know. But hey, listen, they're, they're listening is the whole thing. By the way, those are plants to see if you're listening. <laughs> but listen, and we don't just go deep on Sundays. We, we need to stay focused, especially these days. Most of the time when you and I fall into temptation, it's because we didn't use our, our noodles. We yielded to emotions. And feelings. Why in the world did you get married so quickly? I mean, why didn't you think about it, pray about it, seek some counseling first? I don't know, we just didn't think about it. We just thought, you know, we'll get married, have a few laughs, get divorced, and move on. No, man, you think about it first. Why, why in the world did you cuss your teacher out and get suspended from school with only three weeks left in the year? I don't know, I just, I didn't think, I just lost control. I, I, I didn't. Why in the world did you buy that boat? You can't afford that boat. I know, man, but we went up the boat sport and travel show with canes and three locks and these prices, you know, we just, we weren't thinking. We bought it. See, here's my thing. If you and I are going to survive the challenges to the Christian walk or just in life general these days, we got to go deep in our mental capacity. We, we got to at least go deep enough that we can get to the point where we override temporary, fluctuating emotions. We, we need to train ourselves to move from being emotionally driven to scripturally driven. So we can look at God's Word, pray about it, and then make decisions. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Think about it. 
How many times have we, have we used the illustration over the years here of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? It's just perfect for here. Remember, he's in his mid-twenties. He's not attached to anybody. Potiphar's wife's beautiful. She's home alone all the time, and she tries to get him to sleep with her over and over and over again. And if he'd have just given in to his emotions and, and what was he was thinking about during that time, if he'd have just decided on that moment, he'd have caved in. But he didn't. <laughs> he said, how can I do this thing against God? Now, how did he pull that off? His mind was trained to be obedient to the Word of God. And so when this particular temptation came along, he thought to himself, you know, even with all the desires flying around, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you do. He's thinking to himself, I've read about this in the Word. This is adultery. I don't do adultery. The answer is no. Prepare your mind for action means reprogram your mind to respond to God's Word and walk in it even if it's contrary to all the emotions that's running around and all the desires going on at the moment. Now that's tough to do. How do you do it, Cain? Well, the, the hint is in the, the, tech, the tense of the verb in the Greek. It means continually prepare your minds for action. You stay in the Word of God. You don't read it once in a while. You're in the Word of God. David said, your Word is, I have hidden my heart so I might not sin against you. One guy told his preacher, he said, I try real hard to read the Bible. I really do. But most of it's above my head. His preacher said, then lift up your head. It's that important. When Jim Sisko finally figured out that this thing was not going to go away, remember what he said to me? He said, Jim, I've had me one wonderful life. God's been good to me. And now I'm ready to go home. That's a mind prepared for action. That's a mind who trusts God when he said, in this life you're going to have tribulation, but you be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. Good for him. Second thing that we need to look at this morning is uh, we need to go deep, become like God in his holiness. Um, I'm going to read this scripture to you because I, 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 before we move on, I, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say this. One of the ways that you and I need to go deep in our mental capacity instead of just the way we feel is to cut down on this garbage we're watching on TV. Let's just do it. Let's just say it. Some of the stuff we're looking at on our cell phones all night long. Some of the stuff we're looking at on our computers. You just grow mentally by getting away from that stuff, you know? Get rid of some of the devotionettes that you look at every day and read something a little deeper. Pick up C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Pick up John Ortberg's Soul uh, uh, Keeping. Pick up, uh, I'm reading a book right now from Beth Moore called When Godly People Do Ungodly Things. It should be required reading for everybody. And stay in the Word of God. I, there's a book out, it came out recently, that they say can prove that Jesus Christ was actually married and had children. How silly is that? Somebody says, well, Cain, how can you say that's silly? Because I studied it, that's how. For 40 years, I put the Bible down and looked it up in history. I can still be fooled in a lot of areas. That's just not one of them. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 in the Living Bible, become full grown in the Lord, then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because somebody told us something different or has cleverly lied to us and made the lies sound like the truth. 
Instead, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Jesus Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. Peter says, grow up. Put your minds in action. Be careful with what's going on around you and stay in the Word of God. Okay, now, becoming like God in His holiness, number two. Sorry, I just thought I'd better say that. Verse 15 and 16. Just as He who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Talked about that a little bit last week. Holiness, sacred, separate, set apart for God. I, I think our problem is a lot of times we look at holiness in negative terms. You know what I'm talking about? We think about holiness in things that you don't do. A holy person doesn't get drunk, okay? A holy person doesn't do drugs. A holy person doesn't cuss. A holy person doesn't commit adultery or fornication. A holy person doesn't lie and cheat. A holy person doesn't uh, drink, smoke, or chew, or run with girls who do, right? I mean, that's a holy person, am I right? No! Oh, so much more than that. I mean, that's part of it. Getting rid of the sin in your life is part of it. The Bible says, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Now, by the way, that's why I keep saying in these days, in these days where it's okay to sleep with somebody you're not married to, it's okay to live together these days. It's okay to look at stuff on the cell phone and on your TV and computer that you've got no business looking at. Pornography on the rise everywhere. In those days, in these days, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any impurity or greed because they're improper for God's holy people, Ephesians chapter 5. Family, I'm just telling you, holiness doesn't stop there. That's where it starts. You clean that stuff out, but that's just where it starts. Holiness is the pursuit of God. It, holiness is you and I passionately trying to become like the God that we love. God is generous. Are you? If you're not, you've got to work on it. God's impartial. Are you? You should be. God is love. God is merciful. God is humble. God is pure. Peter's saying, listen, the more you grow towards Him, the deeper you get towards Him, the more you become like Him. And you talk about a powerful, attractive life. People see you running around, uh, acting differently, acting happy, acting full of joy, and, and they look and they say, wow. wow. Is that what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Wow. I'd like to learn more about that. And we actually become spiritual magnets for Jesus Christ as we grow up and become like God. Now, please, I know this takes a long time, okay? This doesn't happen overnight. That's why he says grow in holiness. Um, Paul Reese says that uh, Christianity is a gift and a growth. The gift comes immediately through salvation. The growth takes a long time. This sanctification process all I can tell you is I've been at it. I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. I've been at it a long time. I'm nowhere close. I mean, let's just admit, we bring a lot of junk with us into this Christian walk, and it takes a long time to get rid of it as we grow into God's character. But we should be growing. When Acton started walking, Acton would fall over things, he'd tumble over things, he'd trip over his own feet, and he was such a tough kid, he'd fall down and get right back up and giggle. He thought that was so funny, no harm at all. Acton's nine years old now. And if he was still stumbling over things and falling, couldn't walk or talk, we'd be taking him to the doctor. There's something seriously wrong with that. And if you've been a Christian four, five, six, ten years, and you're still stumbling around, you're still chasing things of the world, still not quite engaged, you need to go to the doctor. 
the great physician Jesus Christ, because there's something going on here. Now, Peter gives us four motivators for holiness. We're going to look at them, then we're going to pray, because I'm about out of time already. Number one, we should have a desire to resemble the Heavenly Father. Verse 16, be holy because I'm holy. Wouldn't you like to be able to say with Paul, follow me as I follow Christ? Yeah, people say, well, I'd love to do that, Cain, but I can't pull that off. Nonsense. Baloney. Y'all have everything you need in here to be a holy person if you're a Christian. 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have everything you need to pull this off. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, listen to this, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. If you're in Christ, you're already growing up. You're transforming daily. And some of you have seen that happen. Some of you have grown up. I've watched it. It's good. By the way, notice it said it came from the Lord, so don't get cocky. All right? Grow up, he says. You and I have everything we need to transform the likeness of Christ. We have his DNA. We've been created in his likeness. We've been created in his image. You and I are not trying to be like Jesus Christ. We are like Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. And the more you grow deep in the Lord, the more you're going to see it's a powerful life. Number two, second motivator, reverent fear of judgment, verse 17. Since you call on the Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here with reverent fear. Listen, if you knew that everything you did was being taped all day and every word you spoke was being recorded, I think you'd act a little differently. By the way, you are being watched quite a bit, and they are listening to everything we say. But the Bible says so is God. He's watching and listening all the time. We're going to have to give an account for every idle word spoken, every deed done in secret, the Bible says. And so sometimes we do the right thing because we love the Lord, and sometimes we should do the right thing because we fear the Lord. That's not the highest motivator, okay, but it works. Third motivation to holiness is to recognize how empty unholiness really is. It is empty, folks. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from this empty way of life handed down to you from your forward. Empty way of life, Peter says. Sin is so empty. I mean, isn't it? You get a good grade in school because you cheated. How does that make you feel? Empty. You wake up in the morning with a hangover or some residual from drugs. How does that make you feel? Empty. You wake up in the morning after having watched and looked at something you shouldn't, or worse, you wake up in bed with somebody that doesn't share your name or your ring or your future and your ideas. How does that make you feel? Empty, guilty, ashamed. Sin's no good, man. But sin's like McDonald's french fries. You know what I'm talking about? You crave it. Sometimes I crave McDonald's french fries. I mean, they're so good, especially when they're hot and crispy and they come out and they smell so good and they're crunchy, you know? And sins like that, it tastes real good going down. But it's just like McDonald's french fries. After you eat it, you think, why in the world did I put that in there? Why did I do this? The prodigal son, after he went through all that money and ended up walking around with the pigs and his stomach was empty and his, his spirit's empty, he, the Bible says he came to his senses. I've been a stooge, man. <laughs> this is empty. I'm going home. And my question is, how many times are you and I going to have to fall into the same pattern of emptiness before we wake up and say, this is empty. I've been a fool. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to grow up. I feel bad every time I do this. I'm not doing it anymore. And the fourth motivator is just loving, this loving sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 19. 
You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen from the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. (laughs) Bob Russell says the cross was not an accident, it was an appointment. It was not a human tragedy, it was a divine strategy planned out from God before time began. Before he breathed life into Adam, he looked at Jesus and said, you sure you want me to do this? Because once I give him life, it's going to cost you yours. Is it too much to ask for the perfect lamb of God who sacrificed everything to give up a little instant gratification, which is going to be empty tomorrow anyway? I don't think so. It's a good motivator. Thanks for your patience. I went a little longer than normal. Third thing we got to do is we got to grow deep morally. You know what I'm talking about? And how we live, I mean, uh, socially. We already did morally. And how we interact with each other. Verse 22, now that you've been purified by obeying the truth, that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. That's the third thing we got to do is put each other first. It's hard these days. In the selfie era, we're pretty much about ourselves. I'll tell you, one of the toughest things to teach our kids and our grandkids right now is, is not to be selfish. I took Griffey to uh, Culver's Tuesday night, just Griffey and I, and uh, it was fun. It took about 45 minutes because that boy loves his french fries. And he, he eats them one at a time with about a half a gallon of ketchup for each fry. His dad taught him that. And then we had to clean up and go. We had 10 of those little things, so we had to go get a prize out of the case. And then we got that back, and then we had to go get ice cream. And he got vanilla and I got chocolate. And the joke at our house is if it's on Papaw's plate, in Papaw's uh, lap, anything to do with Papaw, Griffey helps himself. So we sat down, he took a bite of his, and he'd take a bite of mine. Then he'd take a bite of his, and he'd take a bite of mine. And uh, about halfway through that, he said, Papaw, this is good when my white gets on your chocolate. And I said, well, let me try. And I reached over and took a bite of his, and he said, Papaw, what are you eating mine for? It's tough to teach him that. Is it tough to teach us that? Sometimes we're not careful we come into church selfish. I didn't get anything out of service today. Sorry, it wasn't about you. (laughs) I I, I like the drums open. I like them closed. I like the music loud. I like it soft. I like it when he preaches. I like it when he preaches. See, Peter says you grow past that. You start, you come to church, you look to please others. Nobody even came up to me Sunday. Well, you know what? You go up to somebody else. You both grow up that way. See how that works? I bring this up because we're getting ready to build a building again. If we're not careful, Satan will use that against us. We get ready to build over there. You start thinking and praying about how much work Bob White's putting into this. His life is wrapped up in this. Adam Goss, Eric Gilpin, Jake Pertable. And I'm not saying when they lay the plans out, we just roll over, but I'm saying close. I'm saying close. You guys have done all this work, prayed over, we prayed over you. We trust you, lead us. And as we get together, we look to lift each other up. We take care, I take care of you, and you take care of you, and you take care of you, and then then we're not even worried about selfishness. And it all starts here. You talk about selflessness. It's all right here, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Let's grow up, church. The times are now. Uh, I'm still convinced we're running low on time. And that means your family and your friends that don't know Christ are running low on time. So you come up here this morning and take 
part in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Get filled up at this altar and then go out. Grown up in the Lord. You've tasted he's good. Now go show everybody else that he is.